You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I want to invite you to open up to Genesis uh, chapter 13. As we cruise along uh, in the story of Abraham this morning, we pick up where we left off, uh, where Abraham has heard a call and he's responded. He's, he's left his home in Ur to, to respond. And so um, the Bible in and itself, Genesis 1 through 11, uh, is a really big kind of cosmic macro picture of, um, of God's look at the world, the way he made the world, the way he designed the world, the way he constructed it. And, and, and swinging out of Genesis 1 through 11 into chapter 12 in the beginning of the biography of Abram, uh, we, we get a more myopic, myopic uh, uh, focused picture of one man and his family, uh, that is Abram, uh, and, and God's God's using of that family, his, his catalyzing that family to be a blessing to the whole world. You might ask yourself, how is God going to fix his good, good world made bad from Genesis 1 through 11? And his answer is by calling Abram uh, and, and asking Abram to follow. And so there is a two-part conversation there. We talked about this last time. There is a call and there is a response. Uh, the call is the grace of God meeting you, meeting me in our lives. The call meets us not when we're looking for God, but when we're running away from God. It meets us where we are, um, right as we are, and doesn't ask us to change um, to hear the call and the grace of God. That's just the grace of God. The grace of God is that he has come towards us when we are not coming towards him. That's the grace of God. But there is a faith, there is a response that the grace of God will ask of us. And, and for Abram, that meant a location change. It meant to leave his family. It meant to leave what was familiar, his culture, his people. And it, it asked him to go to a place that he didn't, did not know of. And so what we see is this is a, is a blank canvas that will get a little bit more textured as we continue on. There was, there was for example, um, a land that he did not know of, but once he starts to take the steps, God begins to point to that land. So land turns into that land. And then once... Once he arrives in the land, God verifies it with his appearance, with his presence, and he says, this land. So it goes from land to that land to this land, and the canvas becomes to take shape. Uh, and that is very much, that's very much how God, I think, intends us to read the Bible and understand what faith is. And so that's what we're asking when we look at the story of Abram, is that Abram's not special. He's not a superhero. He is all of us. He is the nobody from nowhere, from Ur, of Kerr, of the Chaldeans, you know, might as well be from Simpsonville or Five Forks or Possum Kingdom, and he's calling all of us to leave where we are to follow and not always know all the curriculum and the itinerary from A to B. And that's what faith is about. It is the call of the grace of God and responding in faith to that grace and taking that step. And so, so this is what the study is about. It's how is, how is God taking people of no faith to, to some faith to maybe great faith to friendship with God is really the ultimate picture of, of faith. Um, I, could, um, I could probably assume then in this room, um, most of us do not like to wait. We do not like the concept of waiting. We don't like the waiting room. I don't like the waiting room in the doctor's office. It kind of makes me feel like it's a little bit uh, oppressive. Why, why are we waiting? And then once we get into the waiting room, when we get past the waiting room, we go into the second little table with the butcher paper on it, which I always feel so, so demeaning that I'm 36 and I'm sitting on this butcher paper in this office and I'm, there's a second waiting room. I mean, clearly there's not just one waiting room. They ought to call both of them the waiting room. Uh, the doctor's office is, is not a place that I like to wait. Um, I found that 
Um, if I accidentally lose my phone or leave my phone in the car and I get in the supermarket and I have to wait for too long and you know that little cashier lady uh, that's speaking with the, the customer and they like find out you know each other, you're like, oh boy, I had to pick this line. It's not always the most pleasant feeling and really I should be thankful that people are finding fellowship and community but really I'm not thinking about them. I'm thinking about my BOGO and my ice cream that's melting and I want the, I want the thing to keep moving. I've, I found myself less patient as, as, as I've grown older and less patient as technology has gone quicker. It seems like as quick as technology can get, it can never get fast enough for me it seems to me that when my data runs out and my slow, the slowness of my Google map like hits me, you know, I have to wait like five seconds rather than 0.1 seconds on my 4G or whatever phone to get the Google destination on my phone. I somehow fleetingly forget the fact that I used to have to get on the internet through a telephone uh, line, which some of you guys can remember. And so, and so the practice of waiting um, is, is certainly just in, in life um, an inconvenience uh, for sure. Um, but, but then, but then of course there's, there's a more difficult waiting. I mean, that's all trivial waiting. Like that's, that's Jerry Seinfeld stuff, right? That's like doctor's office waiting and, and waiting at the bank. But there's, there's, there's more tenuous waiting. There's more difficult waiting. There's testing waiting. There's, there's like waiting for the doctor's report. Um, I, when I, I shared last or two weeks ago when I had a, a kidney problem, I had to wait for like six months. And I'm like, what, are, what on earth are they doing for six months? And you just sit there and your diet's different and your exercise is different and the way you're trying to plan your life. I mean, it's like you've got a life that you still have to live. You still have to make decisions. You still have to live. And you're still in this like waiting zone, you know? Um, uh, you're waiting on um, a job. You get out of college, you have your degree and you feel like you have all this potential and vision and passion and there's no place to put it. And this is the way that life is. It's the way that faith is, but it's also just the way that life is. You're waiting for a significant other to come into your life. You're waiting uh, for, for a pregnancy. And, and you see all these other people that are getting pregnant. And you could think of, you know, the names or you could think of the way that you would color the room or build the crib or whatever. You can have this picture, but the picture doesn't do anything to serve you because there are certain things that, that you, you can't move, you know, that, that you, can't, you can't change. And so all you have to do is you just have to wait and life continues to go on. And, and that's kind of the picture I think we get with this kind of faith, with Abram's faith, when he's called to go to a land that he doesn't know and he's called to have babies with his wife who can't have babies with, right? Like that's the season. And so maybe in this, in this chapter, and I think this is a good theme for us to rest on as we continue on the chapter 13, but like, but if, if chapter 12 was about faith growing, how does someone grow, go from no faith to some faith to great faith to friendship with God? There's a significant amount of testing that takes place. Uh, and one of the brands of that testing, we'll see in chapter 13, is that testing comes in the form of waiting. It comes in the form of, of you know, some people, we do really well in the walking season, in the fighting season. We'd rather be fighting than waiting because at least we're active. And, and so like, you know, we wish there was something to swing at and fix and there was something to fight and some famine to withstand. But sometimes we just get in this spot where we're just waiting. And, and that's the kind of the breed and the brand for some of it. So it's really hard to do. We just have to sit still and, and, and to wait and to wait on, on the hand of God. And it's like these puzzle pieces, they come in the mail, you know, like what if you just, I don't know, you ordered something on Amazon, it was a thousand piece puzzle, but instead of sending the whole box, they send just one piece of the puzzle and you, you look at it and you know it has color to it and you know that's supposed to get you somewhere, but you can't, you can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. And, and that's exactly, I think, what God is doing with this whole promised land thing. That's what this chapter is all about. It's about the land. So we actually covered the first four verses. So we're going to start in verse five in chapter 13, where we left off. And it says that Abram has this nephew named Lot. 
And Lot is a lot of problems for Abram. Abram has a Lot problem. He has a lot of problems, and one of them is Lot. And so we're going to figure that out. That's the old uh, cousin Eddie, so to speak. That's the old weak link in the family. He shows up in that leisure suit, and he's nothing but liability for Abram, okay? Uh, So uh, verse 5, Lot is there, okay, the third wheel. He's chilling in the back seat with him and Sarai on the date of life. And uh, he says he's moving. He's just following Abram, just wherever Abram's going, just... Just following. I don't know if you have an in-law or a friend or something. They're just with you. They're a shadow, and they're following you. Abram was supposed to leave his family, but he couldn't help the fact that Lot is following him. Also, he has all these flocks and herds and tents, but notice what it does not say. It does not say he has land. So that's a problem. He has the stuff, but he's not got the space to put the stuff. I don't know if you guys have ever sold a home, but you don't have that next home, and so now you're living with the in-laws. You know that thing? And so now all your stuff is in this storage. And do, do they not know that you... Have, they have you by hook, you know, and they can do whatever you want with their wallet. They can do whatever they want with your wallet when you have too much stuff and nowhere to put it. And they'll charge you $800 a month or whatever, a whole other apartment to put your stuff on Pelham Road. And so that's what you're thinking is that he has this great wealth, but he's got no land. And that's, that's more than just, you know, silly anecdotals. That's very divine because part of the whole process was not just the people. It was not just the baby. It was the land. He wants the where to be the right place. It's not just that God for Abram wants him to have the baby, but he wants him to be in the right spot. And ironically, he's actually in the right spot. And this is the funny thing about God is you can have something that God hasn't given you yet. That's a bit weird. and I can't spend too much time on it, but you can have something that God hasn't given you yet. So Abram's in the land, but he doesn't have it yet. He doesn't have the land. And so, so what we're going to see is that because the pieces aren't all put together, it's like he's in the right spot and he has some of the puzzle, but not all the puzzles worked out yet. And there's tension that ensues because of it. So he's in the land, but he doesn't have the land. And he's got all the stuff, but he's got nowhere to put the stuff. And so here's the fallout of it. If you have part of the promise, but not all of it, there's still some tension in the storyline. And that's kind of where we live too. But verse six says this, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. It says, for the possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And so some of this is, is the Babel effect, that God wants people to spread out. And so some of this is, is God's hand. Some of it is Abram's sin, because he went down to Egypt and he inherited a bunch of stuff that shouldn't have been his in the first place. So he's kind of got too much to walk across the bridge with here. So there's a bit of a problem. But ultimately speaking, none of that's bigger than God's providence. Like the land that's flowing with milk and honey should have enough for a few cows on it, right? And so the whole point is, it's not the problem with the land. It's not the problem with Abram's choices. It's the problem with God's timing, that God is not ready to give the land that Abraham is living in yet. So he's living in that window of waiting. He has some of the puzzle pieces, but he doesn't have all of it. He doesn't have the complete picture, and that's where a lot of uh, our time gets spent in the testing and the growing of faith. So it says, verse 7, he doesn't have just a land problem, but he has a lot problem. He has a lot of problems, and one of them is Lot. And so in verse 7, it says, the quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. And then it says, he not only has internal strife within his community, but he has external strife. You have problems like in your community, you have problems with your friends, but then also in your, your spouse and your kids, but you got bill problems and you've got, you know, you're, you, you know you're, you're sick and your boss and your things. And you know, it's like there's internal issues, there's external issues, and life doesn't stop or slow down when, you know, the perpetuation of God's plan in your life doesn't, you know, begins to slow down. And so you're kind of stuck waiting while the world continues on. And you're kind of like, all right, so what's going on? And that's the deal. <clears throat> so there's Canaanite, Canaanites, Perizzites. I was loving the, um, in the NIV version of the U version. They always go, Perizzites, Canaanites, you know, that medieval guy, if you listen to the audio thing. And then he goes, Jebuzites. If you listen to it, every time he does that, he goes, Perizzites, Perizzites, and Jebuzites. Wait, it's on the last one. So anyways, there's enemies. There's internal strife. There's external strife. And that's what it feels like, right? When we're in the season of waiting, there is a lot of people that are going to start telling you, 
Job advice. They're going to start telling you, man, if you just did this and you just get out of the waiting season, this is what I did. And you just get it. It's like, you know, and people are going to be quick with the advice and there's going to be internal strife. A lot of times if you're with a person that's a goer and a walker and it's a waiting season, they're not going to like it and they're going to start swinging at you, right? That's kind of what happens. It's like, you must be the problem. It's not working because you're the problem. You need to change. You need to do this. And they want to go and they want to go and they're waiting. There's like, and you have this, you have this tension of the relationship that you're in where you're saying, I have to listen to God. And that ultimately is going to cause me stress and strife with you because this is not a walking season, it's a waiting season. And the waiting season can make you vulnerable, vulnerable to critique. It can make you second guess yourself. Did I make the right decision? Am I waiting because I did something wrong? Am I waiting because they did something wrong? This is the scenario that you're in. You're not lacking in this kind of internal and external strife because because life continues on even when we're waiting. And so Abram is in this situation with his his, uh, nephew, with his nephew Lot. We take it that Abram loves Lot and you know, has a level of affection for Lot, but Lot is an issue. And it's not just because he's a cousin Eddie. He, it's an issue because uh, if you read in the text, like Lot is not called by God. Remember that. It, didn't, it wasn't a pluralistic calling. Abram was called, and Abram, by nature of his family, Sarai was called, but Lot was not called, and Lot is not calling on the name of the Lord. So every time that it says that Abram stops at a place in Bethel, let's say, and camps out and creates a monument and creates a, a, an altar, Lot's not there. Lot's not called and Lot's not calling. Lot doesn't understand the promise. Lot doesn't understand grace. Lot doesn't understand anything except Abram's doing well for himself and I do well when I'm with Abram, so I'm gonna follow Abram. And that's the kind of unequally yoked planes, trains, and automobiles situation that he's in. And and that's the problem, right? So we're, we're trying to follow the voice of the Lord with life continuing on and then the lots of our life that are next to us. And how do we deal and wrestle with this? And so there's these, these delicate decisions that need to get made. So let's just stop and think about this for a second. If you're Abram, like what are you going to do? Remember the whole thing about this Bible is not moralism. This isn't a, a list of rules to, um, to, to follow and plot our life out from. And it's also not a, a list of biographies of people to model our life after. It's a grace, it's a promise that we're, we're meant to find. In other words, we can't walk the way that Abraham did and just copy Abraham's steps and think that we're going to copy the playbook and get where we need to be. We're supposed to follow the promise that Abraham followed, and we're supposed to find the promise. And so the question always has to go back to the word of the Lord. Like, Abram's not asking, how do I get out of this with the least amount of, like, payment here? How am I going to, you know, ethically do the right thing? The most important thing to Abram, he's learning, based on his little detour in Egypt last Sunday that we talked about, is he's got to follow the word of the Lord. And so the word of the Lord to Abram is... He's supposed to go. He's supposed to leave his family. He is heading towards a land that he doesn't know of yet, and he's going to have a baby that he doesn't know how he's going to have yet. And he's taking inventory of this stuff. I'm presuming. I'm presuming he's learning to be faithful, and he's remembering the promises of God, that he's meant to be a great nation and a great name, and and he's going to be a blessing, and and that God's going to bless those that bless him and curse those that curse him, and ultimately he's become a nation by which all nations will be blessed. That is the promise of Abram. That is the call that Abram is responding to here. And so he has a set of options. The first option, I suppose, could be that he could take um, um, his nephew Lot and he could move to another spot that's less crowded. Like part of the issue here is that he's in the land, but he doesn't own the land, and that's because he's not occupied it yet. He doesn't have descendants yet to fill up the land. So he kind of has part of the promise in the sense the zip code's there and he knows where it is, but it's not filled out yet. So he could leave, but the problem with that is, is that he would then forsake the calling. So he knows he can't do that. His second option, I suppose, is to sort of insist that Lot stays with him, but he probably knows by this time that there's so much favor on his life that he would begin to overrule Abram, or overrule Lot, that is, and kind of like his herds would probably 
you know, over, you know, crowd out Lot's herds and Lot would point the finger and blame Abram and that put tension on the relationship and he seems like a pretty irritable dude in the first place. And then maybe option C is that he kicks Lot out for his own good, you know? And, and he kicks Lot out for his own good and, and, and then probably the same thing is gonna happen that Lot would, would it would tear up the relationship with Lot. So, so Abram kind of has to make the decision between God and, and money and family. And that's kind of sometimes where, where we sit is we have to make decisions based on these priorities, and so, but, but Abram, here's the thing, here's the thing. And I think this is what we're meant to see in the text is that, is that Abram um, is learning more and more that the call of God on his life is, is meant to really supersede all of those logistical concerns. If you look at the, the earlier passage, and I think this is the engine of, that drives forward the story in the rest of chapter 13, we go back up to, remember the repentance moment. Like this is a character forming moment that I think infers on Abram's decision in the bottom of the chapter, at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 13, this is, the, this is where grace meets Abram in the middle of his failure. And Abram is figuring out that God is very competent to establish his promises. I mean, this dude just went down to Egypt by himself and put himself in a bad position. And somehow, because he trusted God, God put him over Egypt, put Egypt down in, in light of him somehow. And so he's starting to figure out that this God is serious. This God is faithful. This God is not... Uh, you know, incompetent of establishes his promises. And so this is what Abram does. It says in chapter 13, verse one, it says, so Abram went up from Egypt. Remember the direction he went down during the famine. He responded to the famine rather than the word of the Lord. And he trusted the famine rather than God and his wife's beauty. And so he learns from this mistake. And instead of trusting in the, in the resources of his life, he trusts in the source and he goes back. And that's exactly what repentance should do to us. Remember in, Ephesians, or in, in, in Revelation where it talks about the churches and, and talks about all these churches that are doing well and poorly and it, then it lands on Ephesus and it says, Ephesus, you've lost your way. You've trusted the resources rather than the source. Can you come back? Will you come back to your first love? That's the, that's the nature of repentance is if we're lost, we go back to the last thing we remember God saying. We don't respond or react to the problem. We don't react to the circumstance. We go back to the word of God and we go back to the place, the first love, the place where it was clear, the place maybe today for you, if, if you're lost and befuddled and confused and in a waiting season, maybe you just need to go back and remember the main thing. Remember, sometimes in, the, in, the, in all of the unknowingness and the gray, we can go back to the truth. And even though we still don't know the answers to the unknown, we still know the truth of what is known and we can make our decisions from that place. And that's what Abram is doing in this, in this thing. He's forming his character around this. It's not gonna be the last time that he does this. He's going to find an altar that he returns to and that becomes the centerpiece of his life, the devotion of his life. So it says, Abram went up to Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. There he is. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. So now it's famine and now it's plenty, but altogether it's still the same story of faith responding to grace. So he's got a lot of stuff. And then it says in verse three from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, where he had built his first altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. When I would get lost in a supermarket or in JCPenney's or Macy's, which I did quite often with my old poor, old, poor old single mother in Albany, New York, I would kind of get distracted and I'd wander off to go watch Indiana Jones, you know, on one of these TVs, you know, because I didn't have cable and I was just so enamored by it. And my mom would wander off to the perfume, perfume section and we'd get lost. And, and my mom would always tell me, like, if you ever get lost, maybe your mom said this as well, like, you want to go back to the last place that you saw me. Don't go off and looking for me. I will find you. You don't find me. I will find you. Go back to the place where you found me last. And that is, that is beginning to become the ethos, the pattern of Abram's life is if he's ever lost, he goes back to what are the promises of God? 
what is true about God, what is true about his hand, what is true about my history with God. And remember, remember, remember faith, it starts with a word, but then it turns into a relationship. It started at word at face value, but now he not only has words to live by, but character to live by, actions to live by, and he can go back to the promises of God, but also the testimony of God. And he's built an altar to remind himself of the past. And he's formed his life, his character, his, his ethos around this thing. And now he's becoming more and more a person with a foundation of grace. It's not a foundation of fear. It's not a foundation of, of what if. It's not a foundation of maybe I made the wrong step. He's seeing that God's hands are way bigger than his choices. He's seeing that God's sovereignty is way bigger than his sin. And he's realizing from his character that he gets to make choices forward and trust that God is going to catch him. And so this is what I think is striking Abram by the middle of this chapter. Is that at the end of the day, he could go left or he could go right. But at the end of the day, his steps and his choices are not too big for God's sovereignty and his grace. Particularly his obedient ones. And if he is able to line up the truth of God and the promises of God, and he's able to take a next step, even if he's only 60% sure, he's learning to trust that God's hands are big enough to catch him. And that is the difference between chapter 13, Abraham, and chapter 12, Abraham. Hopefully we're growing in that way to trust that our choices, our choices, our choices, they're important, they're strong, they're, 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 uh, they're significant. They do affect others. And sometimes that's the hardest part, right? Like it's not just the choices that affect us, but it's the choices that affect the lots in our life. You know, like maybe there are some people in our life that aren't protected by the calling of God. They're not called by God or calling on God. And we know our choices might affect them. And so how does that affect? And so we have this web of decision-making and this is very important. I mean, this is part of the process of waiting, I think, because he wants us to remember and, and to process and to, and, to, and to saturate on what these promises actually mean. Like in other words, if he didn't have this problem in his life, he wouldn't have to really put his life up against this promise. But he is, and that's the point. He's, he's not wasting any minute of waiting. Every ounce of waiting in our life has a purpose. It's come to our doorstep, you know, to, to, to do something significant in, in our life. And so I think that's what Abram is, is realizing, is, is that no matter what he does, that God is going to use all things for good and glory. And if he trusts in the promises, he's not forgetting the things that he's supposed to be doing, which is looking forward to the land and looking forward to the blessing then he can open up his hands and trust that anything that he's supposed to have, nobody else can take from him. So here he is with Lot, and he's got to make this decision. So this is what he says. He says, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine. And he says, we are brothers. And I love how he says that because ultimately they're not really brothers. I mean, he's kind of the patriarch here, you know. He's the BMOC, the big man on campus, and Lot's just the little... He's the appendage here, but he treats him like a peer. There's a deference, there's a humility, there's like a trust. And that is, you know, humility isn't possible without faith. You know, like we think about humility as this ethic that we can work on, you know, try to sound more humble and all this stuff. But really, you're only humble if you understand that God has got you and God's only put you where you are in the first place. So really, there's only false humility apart from God and grace in the first place. So he's overflowing this kind of pattern in his life. And there's just this natural grace that flows out of his decisions and the way he gives his decisions. And so verse nine, is not the whole land before you? He says, let's part company. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He lives in this, in this world where if he goes left, he's blessed by God. If he goes right, he's blessed by God. He's not living in this kind of tight wire. Should I buy 2% milk or skim milk? Or I got to check put my, you know, finger in the air, ask for an angel to email me, put out fleece every six. It's like, I'm a friend, not a servant, and I know that God is developing a relationship with me. His hand's big enough for my choices and the choices and the mistakes of others. So I'm going to move forward with faith, trusting that my decisions are going to be covered by the grace of God. This is, a, this is good news, is it not? 
This is somebody moving from no faith to faith, to friendship with God, relationship with God, not, not transaction with, with God, not lottery ticket with God. You know, I, 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 and we were all in these situations. I mean, um, uh, you know, Ashley, Cro- Ashley Crocker, who's not here right now. I think she's in Charlotte. Ashley does our communications. She was in Charlotte and she even sent out the snapshot email anyways. And she sent out the weather report thing on Instagram. So you need a friend like Ashley. And Ashley just got two jobs. You know, we've been praying for her in worship night. We've been praying for her husband, by the way, and I continue to make that remark. If you know Ashley, you'll know that she's always, that's going to be the first thing that she'll say. And she's also been praying for a job. And isn't God good that she not only had one job opportunity, she has two. (laughs) And she has to decide between the two of them. Uh, as, as another life update, I guess I'm just giving life updates. Now the Hafers, who have been selling their house in Simpsonville, not only had one offer, but they had two offers. And now they have to make decisions. And so even in the waiting season, we're, we still have decisions to make. And sometimes the decisions don't all ha- always have all the pieces. And that's the game that we play sometimes. It's not a game. It's part of the process of worshiping while we're waiting that we get these puzzle pieces in the mail. And we look at them in the light and we just think, what can we do with this puzzle piece? And God's honored by that process. And, 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 so, and so Ashley's in that position and she's got to decide, should I go to the left or to the right? And here's the, here's the ultimate reality of this thing is that, is that whether we're choosing, we're choosing spouse, we're choosing important decisions, job, places to live, either way, God's hands are big enough for the choices that we make to the left or to the right. God's grace is big enough for that. And there's a freedom, I think, in that and that God has said, you choose, you choose. I've given you, my sovereignty is is here so that I can bring the grace of God and the glory of God into this world and I'm big enough and I'm strong enough and I'm sovereign enough that you can choose and not fall out of my will. And even if you choose and fail, I'll still continue to catch you because that's the providence of God. This is the security. We don't want to be the kinds of people that are always worried that maybe I took a left and I should have taken a right and I took a right and I should have taken a left and now maybe I'm out of God's will. Like that's not the kind of confidence that his sons and daughters are supposed to walk with. And so this is, the, this, is the, this is the outflow of the decision. It says, verse 10, now Lot is making his decision. This is what is, needs to be calculated, I think, by Abram, is that Lot is not called by God or calling on the name of the Lord. And so he is going to, unfortunately, suffer more of the consequence for a- Abram's you know, decision. That's the nature of unequally yoked, right? Like, you know, you're usually picking up more of your share of the bill. You're having to pay for more of the cost. And sometimes when you make the decision, it's going to hit the other person. But that is sometimes the nature of it, that we need to trust God with our life, but also the lives of others. And that's part of the grace project as well. But verse uh, 10, it says, Lot looked up. God, you know, Abram, it's going to say, look to the heavens or look to God. But God just, or Abram just looks at the horizon. He looks at the land. It says, Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. So what's he thinking? He's thinking about topography. He's thinking about the grass. He's thinking about where's the grass greener. That's how he's going to make his decision. And that's how we will make our decisions if we're not founded in the grace of God, because it'll just be about carrots and sticks. And Abram's not making his decisions on carrots. He's making it right. He's making his decisions on grace. He's making his decisions on the calling. That's the type of person he's set out to be. But that's not Lot. He's not anchored. And so it says he looks up. He sees where the watered grass is. He's like desert or, you know, prairie. And uh, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt uh, towards Zohar. Did you hear that? Did you hear? Look at it. He says he saw the place and he saw enough grass there. He's like, oh, there's enough grass and, and, and prosperity and goodness and must be God. Right. Like, that's the attitude we have when we don't know the grace of God. We think it's about transaction and just getting to the next step at the fastest pace we can. And God's holding the timer up against us. And we're just supposed to get to the destination on our own. That's usually what happens to a life that isn't rooted in grace. And so, so he's just like, oh, more grass, more green, more prosperity. Got to be the right fit, right? <laughs> but then there's this looming foreshadowing to let us know ahead of time that what's glitter is not always gold. 
Quotation mark in verse 10. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Ooh, that picked up quickly. Uh, if you're a Bible reader. So it's, in other words, that's not good. That's not a good place that he just picked. And, uh, and, and so ultimately, I think it's saying, you know, in Psalm 37, where it says not to fret, and it says to trust in the name of the Lord, because fretting leads to evil. Sometimes the things that seem like they're harmless decisions apart from God, downstream and downhill will turn into disastrous decisions apart from God. All decisions that sidestep from the race of God, they're, you know, they're maybe cute for a while, but after a while, they'll be disastrous, right? And they'll, they'll end, because every, everything separate from God is death. Everything separate from God is sin. It's not, you know, bad people, good people, and God people. It's God and everything else, and, and everything else. And so, so it's, it's pretty categorically said, even this really grassy, awesome-looking place is not the Garden of the Lord, and as a matter of fact, it is a trap and will turn into the demise of his family and his kids because of his decision. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself, there it is, the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east and the two men parted company. Verse 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Verse 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Abram had to make a decision. He responded in grace. Sometimes that affects, that always affects your life and sometimes affects others' lives. And ultimately all that has to be done within the premise of trusting in the hands of of God that called him. Verse 14. And this is what we need. This is the grace moment. Like this is what needs to come home to you today. If you have a decision to make, if you have two jobs to choose from, or you know, you have a decision to make about the location you live in, a lot of times, you know, it's 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 about remembering the promises of God and, and deducing from there at least what you're not going to do, and then making the decision that you feel the grace on. Matter of fact, this is the bullet point thing that I think maybe I would, I would give you on this and, and I think God responds to, to this list. But if, if you have a decision today, there's this sentence in the Bible that I think is really helpful that guides us in Acts uh, chapter, if we have the slide, I think it's Acts chapter eight, um, if it doesn't show up. But, um, but these are the, you know, the council of, if you remember the apostles in the book of Acts when the early church gets started and the acts of the Holy Spirit takes root of the, of the early church, these apostles have really important decisions to make. And one of the things that you'll see continually on the beginning of, of that time is the decision to, to do what is seeming best to us and the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? These are big decisions to be made for the future, the foundation of the church. I mean, we're deciding whether to do AT&T or Spectrum, right? And these guys are deciding the future of the kingdom of, you know, of, of the church responding to the kingdom of God. And their answer is, okay, we're going to discern that by way of the sentence, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's enough for you today. Maybe that's why you're here today is to hear, look, God's sovereignty is bigger, is big enough than your choices. And, and, and as, you, as you search the scriptures, number one, as you read the Bible, right? What does the Bible say? We have a lot more revelation than Abram had, and there's a lot more closed doors. And closed doors are our friends in making decisions because at least we know not to go 45 degrees angles that way or forward or backwards. We know at least it's left or right. And that is at least freeing to us to have less decisions to be made. Number two, what is the Spirit saying? And we want to be listening to that. And the Spirit's never going to go against the Bible. So that's why even in seasons of waiting, we should read a lot of Bible so that we can get used to the vernacular and the tone of, tone of voice of God. From there, we can discern what is the Holy Spirit saying, and from there, we always live in community, and we ask people from the 360 around our life to speak into our life. And after all of that, if it seems good to the Holy Spirit and it seems good to us, why not do it? After all, the, the basic you know, premise of the calling of God is to go. It's to go until no. It's green light until it's a red light. It's go. 
And we live in a New Testament era where we really have a lot less waiting to do than they did because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the revelation of God, we have the mission of God upon us. And so if you don't know what to do, then go make disciples and figure out what you do on the way there. Or, you know, go and feed the poor or go and pray for the sick. It's always time to go. And so go until no. If there's not a red light, then it's a green light. And we can't excuse kind of, um, you know, the unknowingness of our future sometimes for the paralysis of human decision. We, we need to trust in the grace of God and move forward and assume that his sovereignty will cover it. But this is what we need. And maybe I'll, this could speak home to you uh, this morning. Verse 14, it says this. It says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes higher than Lot. Lift up your eyes from where you are. And I just want you to look for a minute. I want you to look as far as you could see on the north. And when you're done looking at that, I want you to look as far down as you can see into the south, into Egypt. I want you to look east and do the same thing. And then when you're done with that, I want you to turn and look directly opposite to the west. And I want you to, to look at the horizon while you're looking at me. And understand, Abram, that when I said that you will be the blessing to all nations, I mean it. And I will not, I will not fail. My word is not void and I, my arm is not too short to execute my plan. Abram, my word is more important than Lot's decision or yours. And this will come about. This is the kind of comfort we need to make our decisions with. This is the kind of security we need to make our decisions with. We know some of the things. We're not um, flippant with our decisions. Our decisions matter, especially the more entrusted to us. We need to be considerate. We need to be concerned. We need to fast. We need to pray. We do not just coast through life expecting God to clean up our messes along the way. We are making very discerned, biblical, spirit-driven, and Christ-centered biblical community decisions. And then after that, we go. And we don't, we don't just sit around you know, for no reason. And, and as we go, this is the confidence that we have. That if God has said a plan will happen, he will not be incapable of executing his plan for Abram or for us. And he says, so north, west, east, or south, I will execute my plan. And by the way, it just needs to be stated here. This is not another sermon about your Super Bowl team winning, okay? It's not just anything that you want is going to happen, right? Our promised land is Jesus. Our promised land is not, you know, a better house or a better car, a better job. Our promised land is with Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus. So if, so if that, is the, that, is the, that is the compass, you look northwest, east, and south, then you have no concern for the destiny that you have because you have been promised by way of his blood and by way of the seal of his Holy Spirit in your heart that you today are being with Jesus, for Jesus, like Jesus, and tomorrow you'll be more with Jesus, more like Jesus, and more for Jesus than you were yesterday because it's not up to you. It is up to his hand in your life. And so this is what the promise of, of God is saying. He's saying, it's not up to you, Abram. It's up to me. It's not up to your decisions, it's up to me. And so verse 15, all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I'm going to give you the land and then I'm going to fill the land with your offspring, with my promise ultimately, Abram. Verse 16, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. How many could you count the dust of the earth or the sand? I mean, it's just unlimited people that are going to be in this nation. And he says, verse 17, so go, keep going. Don't stop going. Even when you're waiting, you're still going. You're still asking, you're still seeking, you're still knocking, you're still the persistent widow that continues to knock on the door. You're still praying. You're still always, you're, so waiting is not passive. It's always active. And, and it's waiting on the thing that maybe you want, but even in your waiting, they're still seeking, knocking. Go walk through the length of the breadth of the land that I'm going to give you. It's a great Henry Nouwen quote that I think gives us an illustration to remember, sticky stirring for the rest of the day, I suppose. But it's like, 
He had a friend, Henry Nouwen is an author, Christian author. He passed away since um, he'd written this book, but he has this book and he talks about his friend who's a trapeze artist. And I've never been to a trapeze place and I always just assume they're not even human or they're hologram or something like that. But, you know, they're, they're really crazy it's a crazy thing to think, right? To just spiral in the middle of the air and then like swing onto some big, mon- I can barely do the monkey bars that stand still. So I can, cannot imagine being in a leotard up there, 150 feet above the air or whatever, getting caught by somebody, right? He says there's, there's this really interesting, powerful dynamic between the partners. There's apparently, there is a faller, there's a catcher. And I guess I'd rather, I don't know if I'd rather be a catcher or a faller. I don't know. They're both pretty awful to me. So I think I'm just clearly not called to be a trapeze artist. But if you are, you might want to listen to what Henry Renown has to say. He says, He says, really, all of the success of that interaction takes place in the hands of the catcher. The faller does nothing, right? The faller does nothing for the success of the catch. The faller falls. The faller's job, the faller will make it worse on himself and on the catcher if the faller begins to move or change their arms. The faller's job is to fall. That's why it's called the faller. And maybe that's why they choose the language to make it so utterly clear when life and death is on the line that when you're falling, you're not catching, you're just falling. And the catcher's job is to catch. If you're the faller, you trust the catcher to catch you. And that is what waiting, I think this chapter would tell us, is all about. It's about really falling. It's about opening up your hands to go to the left or to the right. And not because you give up or because you're passive or because you're just like, well, God, you just deal with it because I'm done with you. No, you're very much engaged when you're ready to get caught. You're not just falling asleep there, but... But at the end of the day, you're realizing all you're doing in grace is falling. You're falling into his grace. You're falling and trusting that he's catching you. Every step he's catching you, every decision you can't step out of his grace, he's got you, he's got you, he's got you. Your hands are bigger than, his hands are bigger than your hands. His sovereignty is bigger than your, than your decisions and he's got you. And we make these decisions and we do our best and we take our next steps. But ultimately, Abram's faith is learning that his, his destiny is not his hands. It is God that is guiding him, that the promise is catching him. And so that's the question of the day, maybe to discuss in groups as we continue on in the study. What is, what is life teaching you about trusting and waiting in faith? How is your faith learning how to wait? Most of the Bible is about people waiting on God. Like you realize it doesn't seem that way because on every page something is happening, but the Bible doesn't talk that much about the 30 years that Jesus waited to do the three years of stuff that everything else of the Bible is about. He's like, his whole life is waiting. 30 years for the savior of the world is waiting. He's waiting for 30 years. Like this is absolutely, you think if Jesus is gonna wait, that we're not gonna wait? This is part of the process and he's not wasting it. He's using it because at the end of the day, he's not trying to get Abram to some grassy knoll down the field. He's trying to get Abram with God, like God for God. And that takes time. That takes time in the presence, time in the testing. That takes time in the season. David has to wait in the field to learn how to kill Goliath. He doesn't know why he's there until he gets to Goliath. But he's waiting. David is waiting. You know, Paul is waiting in these prisons. Joseph is waiting. This is the whole thing. If you're waiting, then that's good news because waiting is the faith classroom. And it's good and it's not wasted. And so what can you do today? I mean, you can go. You can keep going while you're waiting. You could throw up your hands in exasperation. You could try to make something happen. But just know that when you fight for something and take something, you're gonna have to keep it the way you got it. When God gives you something, nobody can take it from you. And you don't want the thing that somebody can take from you. Don't put your treasure, as Jesus would say, where moths take away and thieves can steal. Put your treasure in the thing that's secure. In the kingdom of heaven, seek first the kingdom of heaven. All these things 
will be given unto you. That's where we live in the kingdom of heaven and we're using every day to be with God and for God and, and like him. And that's our joy today is that it's not really about getting to the zip code because Abram's already in the zip code. It's about receiving the kingdom of heaven. Will we trust him today? Will we worship in the waiting? Will we not waste the season? I think that that's very much a lot of times where our churches and, and a lot of churches are. We're always either coming into a testing season or in the middle of it or coming out of one, but altogether, God's never wasting the time and he loves to put us in situations that put us up against his promise and his grace again, because that's what makes us more like him. And that's where we are, I believe, as a church. And we'll, you know, we'll be there too at Sweetbriar, I suppose. But this is the season for Carol Ann to come up and share her story about grace and the season for us to fall more in love with worship on every given Sunday morning and become less dependent on some emotion and more, more dependent on his grace. It's the season for us to become less afraid in our marriages, in our relationships, you know, to trust that God is working those things out and the person you think is never gonna change, that he's gonna cause that person to change because God's the only one that does it and you're gonna have a testimony on the other end of it. This is, this is the season. Now is the season, not later. Not last time. Now is the season. Now is the season to be pressing in. Now is the season to be waiting on the catching. He will catch you when you fall. You are falling in his grace. Like that's what this chapter of grace is all about. I'm gonna invite you to stand and have the band come forward and consider that question of waiting. I'm sure there are some places in your life that you're going and walking and some places that you're waiting as well. I wonder if you put your life, you know, you mapped your life up with this testimony of Abram, you might see a little bit more of a hopeful picture. You might see a picture of commonality that even the patriarchs and the Jesus and, and, Jesus and, and, and the Davids and the Daniels and these people, you know, like they, they, they're not unique to us. And we're waiting in this season. And maybe this is what you need to hear. Maybe what you need to hear is, I've got you. I've, I've got you. I have the north. I have the east. I have the west. I have the south. I have the sky. I have the stars. I have the sand. I've got you. And my hand is not too short to stay, save. And my, my, my word has never returned void on the earth. And so I, I've never failed before. I'm not going to start with you now. And so trust that I'm catching you. And as you continue to make decisions, that's a gift to you. It'll put you up against the promise and make you have to discern with stakes on the table. What does the promise of God mean to me? You are being made into a person of substance. I'll close with this verse and, and I'll pray for us. Consider it joy, James said, the half-brother of Jesus. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith produces something that land and food can't get you, perseverance and faith. Verse four, this is precious to us. Let us persevere and finish its work so that you may be mature and complete with Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, why not just ask God for it? You should ask God. You should, you should ask God for wisdom. You should ask God to remind you of the doors that are closed based on his promises. I'm not going that, that way. I'm not going this way. And all of a sudden, maybe in a, in a place of ambiguity, there would be clarity based on the voice of God in your life. If you lack wisdom, then ask and God will close the doors and show you the promises and remind you of who you are and lay out the stakes and maybe there will be some wisdom there as you ask your biblical community around you who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We receive it, Lord Jesus, and we don't want anything we gotta take. We want something that is given. We want an inheritance and thank you, Jesus, that you have given it to us and what you have given, nothing can be taken away. So we put our hearts in the treasure of the kingdom of heaven that cannot be taken away where moth and rust can destroy or thieves can break in and steal. But we put our hope and confidence in the promise of God and we wait and we enjoy the worship and the waiting. This is a beautiful season to grow, to be with you, like you and for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, 
please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.